Well, Paul transitioned the letter last time in giving them practical advice on living concerning the area of persecution and of suffering. And now he's going to continue on giving us instruction on practical Christian living in the area of sanctification, in particular in living a moral, sexually pure life. And so it doesn't appear there was any problem or any issue. Like remember in 1 Corinthians 5, the guy had married his stepmom. <laughs> there was an issue that had to be brought up and then he taught on morality. There just seems to be no issue. It's just simply Paul was only there three Sabbaths, four weeks at the longest. <laughs> and uh, although he taught on some of these points, as he makes reference to, that it did leave questions in their mind. Does, does that apply here? Does that mean this? And, and so it seems like he's just going through answering questions they had. And, and one of those questions is, what is sexual purity? Now, I, I don't know. They say human drive or the human urges, or the human passions, you know, that one, uh, we are instinctually do what we got to do to survive, especially in a, in a surprising moment. We, we can react in, in some crazy ways to survive. Uh, whether, you know, you get all of a sudden dunked underwater and you're trying to get to breathe or whatever. Another one is they say food and, and, and drink. You know, if you're dying of hunger or thirst, we, again, we will have strong impulse to do what we got to do to get that. And they, they say the third one is sexuality, that the sex drive, especially in young people, is very, very strong. And often the brain sort of snaps and turns off and, and goes into a preservation mode in, in, in the sex area as well. So I, I think we all agree whatever is before the sex drive. Sex drive is a very strong drive. And, um, and God no doubt made it that way. A big part of that is there would be a great desire for sex within the marriage and, and to produce many, many kids to, to population of the earth, but not the only reason. Sex is something in marriage that is beautiful, that does bring the two together in spirit and in body as well. So the question here is, is the moral walk of a Christian really supposed to look different than the world? Or are we pretty much the world's in line? You know, we need to make a couple little changes, but the world's not so off about sex. I mean, you, you, you got the Playboy Mansion, but that, that's an extreme. And then you got whatever. You know, is the way the world we're in, now it, it could be any country. It could have been the 1800s or today. Or in this case, the Roman Empire. Is there a big difference now that I'm a Christian in how I view sex? That's, that's really the question. So we look at verse 1 and 2 here today of 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when Paul says finally, it doesn't mean he's ending. You know, it's like when the pastor said, now in conclusion, that doesn't mean he's not going to have three more conclusions right? <laughs> but he, he's saying there's a transition here. Okay, now we're going to go into some real specific nitty-gritty areas. 
And, and so I'm making the transition in the letter, talking about doctrine, to talking about specifics, practical Christian living. And um, he says, I, I want you to keep abounding more and more. You guys are doing well spiritually. You're growing spiritually. And I don't want this area of sexuality to cut the legs out from underneath you. I don't want you to go down a trail of, of accepting sexuality. Remember in the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 5, when the guy married his father's wife, his stepmother, it said the church accepted it and rejoiced. They celebrated it. They threw a big party for him because they thought that was being a Christian, was you accept people and love people no matter what. And Paul said, hey, absolutely not. That's a sin. And you got to excommunicate that guy out of the church. You can't allow a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. So in the same way here, it, you know, in the Roman Empire, it was very uh, a sexual society with a lot of deviant sexual behavior. And in Thessalonica, a major Roman town with a lot of people from all over the world coming through uh, the ships, I'm sure that every type of sexuality was presented in the various bars and theaters and on the street corners uh, of that day. And, you know, as a Christian, uh, what, what, how different are we to be in this area? And he says, I want you to keep growing, and I don't want this area of sexuality to be the thing that stops your growth or hinders your growth or completely cuts the legs right out from underneath you. As Christians, we're not to maintain, we're to be growing. And so he says here, just as you receive from us. Now, we're going to discover that in many of Paul's letters, people would come along behind him saying, oh, Paul's my good friend. And he changed what he taught. He was teaching before you don't need to be circumcised, but now he's telling everybody, and that's why we're here, you need to get circumcised. Sometimes there's something religious like that. But in this case, they're going, well, Paul said that, but yet I heard another guy come through and say something. Did, did Paul really mean what he said when he was here? And Paul is saying, hey, I have not changed one iota of what I told you. Um, I've not changed my opinion on any of these things. How you ought, or the word must, like the word you must be born again. It's the same Greek word here. How you must walk and please God. You see, a, a Christian who starts to walk in maturity stops asking the question, how can I please myself? And they ask the question, how can I please God? Right? I mean, you get married, and if you've been living a selfish life, how to please yourself, and now you got married because you need your spouse to please you also, you're going to quickly uh, see the avalanche, aren't you? When I do premarital counseling, I tell them the biggest problem you should have is out trying to give to one another, out serve one another, out love one another. Your competition is not how much can I get the other person to serve me, but how much can I serve them and overwhelm them. And so in the same way in, in raising kids, a parent quits asking how I can please myself and how can I please my kids, right? 
And this is the same with the Lord in all relationships. It's the same. How, how can I please the Lord? Not, not how can I please my flesh on the earth right now that benefits me. Please tell me the lowest common denominator I can exist as a Christian and not upset God. You see, there's people that do that in their marriage, right? <laughs> I don't want to get divorced, but how horrible of a person can I be how selfish can I live? And my wife not divorced me, but she's not happy, but I don't care, I'm happy. And this is, again, often where Christianity comes to. How can I do the minimum and still make it to heaven? How can I do the minimum and, and still not take God off too much? I'm not thinking about how fruitful I can be. I'm just thinking how much carnality can I have in my life and, and still be okay as a Christian. Well, maturity says, out of love, I no longer am seeking to please myself. I'm seeking to please another, in this case, God. Remember he said in chapter 2, in verse 12, that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you I like the way Paul says in Ephesians 4.1 where he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So I, I want to stop here because so often the way this doctrine of sanctification has been taught or the way people hear it and then they just pour to, put it in the box and, and say, I know everything there is to know about that and just sort of tune out the rest of the message is the world's perspective of sanctification. Oh, you want us to live like Puritans. You're teaching Puritanism. You're teaching, you want us to go back and be like the pilgrims. Or maybe a, a, a Christian version of the Muslim Shia law, you know, where all the women are covered with a little slit for their eyes. Not quite that extreme, but a Christian version of that. Now, understand that living in a way that is, is, is serving and living in a way to bless other people and not yourself is, is actually the highest form of, of living. And Paul says when we live that way, we then have all things to enjoy. You see, true joy, true enjoyment isn't coming and getting as much as the world you, you can get and still go to heaven. In 1 Timothy 6.17, he says, uh, who God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. In 1 Corinthians 3.21, he says, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or death or life or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ." And Christ is God's. Remember what Jesus said to Abraham through the person, the theophany of Melchizedek. He gave him bread and wine and he supped. And that's about all we know. But then he understood, Abraham understood Melchizedek, the king of Salem, this priest of the Most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. You're not just the possessor of earth. You're the possessor of heaven and earth. And remember the next day he met 
the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah who he had delivered with, with his nephew Lot. And they said, hey, according to the law, you get to keep all the material stuff. And, and you just give us the people back. And Abraham said, I wouldn't take so much as a broken piece of sandal leather from you. Don't you understand that I'm of God most high and I am possessor of the heavens and the earth. He got it. You, do, you, do you understand this? Our, our, our life right now is like we're sitting at a bus stop, <laughs> waiting for the bus to come. And we're occupying. And this life, whether you live 70 years or 100 years, it's going to be a vapor of time. We're going to eat, we're going to sleep, we're going to work, we're going to do something. And all of a sudden, we're going to be on our deathbed. Okay? And whether you're a billionaire or a pauper, we'll probably all end up in the hospital with that little tiny sheet with our butt showing. Right? And screaming at the nurse for more painkillers or whatever it is. And then we're with the Lord. And when he returns, we, the bride of Christ, the church will return with him and live on this earth for a thousand years. That's been remade. The whole earth will be Hawaii, basically. And you say, well, you know, I sacrificed so much as a Christian. I never really got to travel much. Travel, you can see the whole world in a hundred years on your flying horse, in your brand new body that has no pain, where there are all rulers, all kings, all priests, are you and me, righteous rulers and kings. And after a hundred years of seeing everything there is on earth, you got 900 years left. You see, we we're tithing our life up front and getting 90% of our life back later. And then everything melts with a fervent heat and there's a new heaven and what? A new earth and what? A new Jerusalem. And we'll be with the Lord forever. So whatever it seems like you're missing out on because I got to live the Christian life and you know how hard it is in this world, you know, it, it's, it's ridiculous. The fact is we are possessors at this moment of heaven and earth. And if our heart is pure and our hands are pure, and our life is in good conscience before God, even now on this sinful earth, we have all things to enjoy. Isn't that crazy? You really want to enjoy the beauty of nature? Have a clean hands and a pure heart. You really want to enjoy the beautiful ocean? Have clean hands and a pure heart. You really want to have that childlike joy when you see a little puppy? <laughs> well, your heart needs to be as innocent as that little child once again. So yes, we, we, we miss out. We don't get to have sex with all the women we're horny for. We don't get to decide what sexuality is pure and what sexuality isn't pure. We go to God and, and we say, okay, Lord, what is a life of sanctification and honor? What is purity? 
But see, the problem with so many Christians, especially in these last days we live in, they're very depressed. And they say in their minds, I know all there is to know about the Bible. The Bible isn't really the thing that's going to help me. I've been to church dozens of times. I've, I've learned the church really can't help me. I prayed about so many things and God didn't answer prayer. I, I just can't bank on that either. And they're depressed and full of anxiety and they're upset, blaming the Bible and God and the church and Christianity. But the truth is, is they have too much of God to enjoy the world and they have too much of the world to enjoy God. They don't enjoy either. <laughs> they don't enjoy Christianity, but they don't enjoy when they're not with Christians either. It's not either one of them. In Romans 8, you guys know this passage in verse 5 through 8. For those who live according, Romans 8, verse 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, at war with God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So many are miserable. They have too much of God to enjoy the world. They have too much of the world to enjoy God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So again, this is not something that Paul came up with. It wasn't like Paul said, okay, we used to be really religious as Jews. We're not going to do that stuff anymore. But now that we're Christians, we need to be religious here. So I think we need to get the pastors to start wearing black with a white collar. And those grand poobah hats, those are cool. The higher you are in the ranking of the church, the cooler grand poobah hat you get. And then we need to wear these giant gold necklaces. We gotta be religious. And then we gotta find things that people really, really enjoy and tell them they can't do it anymore. That will make us religious. This is the way a lot of people think. And even Christian churches today, people, even pastors, they'll, they'll communicate it that way. Like, some of you guys are enjoying life. Stop it! You're not holy if you're enjoying life. It's ridiculous. No, he says here, you know what commandments, the military term to charge. We charged you as a military officer. We gave you where? Through the Lord Jesus. This is not our ideas. This isn't my mind creating this religious institution of Christianity. This is what Jesus told us. We're telling you what Jesus said. 
What does he say at the very end of in verse eight that we're gonna look at in just a minute? In First Thessalonians 4, 8, he says, for he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us of the Holy Spirit. So now he goes on and he says in verse three, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now the word sanctification, we're gonna look at this more because there's more information on this in chapter five, but it literally means to be set apart. In the Old Testament, the, the priest had different tools, shovels, and, and, and things they used, and they were only to be used by the priest, often only in the temple. They were set apart only for holy use. And Paul is saying, that is you now. You are that tool of God that's sanctified only for our high priest use. It's you. You are the holy person, the holy instrument. The word for sanctification, holy agios, it's the same word holy. It's the same word for saints, holy ones. You, you have, this is the will of God. This is the will of God. That you see yourself in this vapor of time that we're on earth this time around, on our first experience of earth, in a sinful world with the devil and our sinful body and pain and suffering and disease and sorrow, this first time around, this vapor of time we're here, that as once we become Christians, that we would mature in understanding more and more that my mouth, my hands, my feet, my brain, my life is a holy instrument unto God, set apart for God and his use only. And notice the word he uses, abstain from sexual immorality. That's a dirty word today. You, you, you see Hollywood and, and every level saying, oh, I, I, as a teenager, as a junior higher, said that I'm gonna abstain from sexuality until I get married. Oh, that is the stupidest, nerdiest, weirdest, bizarre thing that's ever existed ever because that's so against human nature humanly everybody wants to have sex with a whole bunch of different people and once you get married you should have an open marriage because even after you're married you still want to see what it's like to, to touch that person and have sex with that person and see that person naked and that's just our natural way as human beings so you're saying, stop what's just beautifully natural. Stop it, limit it. And of course, you Christians over here don't even just say limit it, but you say abstain from it. But it's always weird because these thoughts never actually work in the real world. <laughs> you know, we, we had back in the 70s and 80s, everybody having sex with everybody, and then all of a sudden AIDS comes. And they're like, oh man, life was so good before AIDS. I had sex with 10 different guys a night and I, and I didn't have to worry about all these diseases like today. Good old days. It's insanity. And then of course in Hollywood, every sexuality is permissible, but once you get married, if you commit adultery, you are the worst person who's ever lived. 
And it's like, hold it. Open marriage is okay? Yeah, but if you commit adult, then your spouse said no about it, then that's like the worst thing. It's like, okay, so you are saying there is a boundary for sex. You see, that, that's where no matter what, even if somebody has sex, oh, I'm a transgendered person. I have sex with boys and girls and boys who think they're girls and girls who think they're boys and, you know, everything but animals at this point, which will become legalized and, and a beautiful thing in a matter of time. And you'll be able to go to Las Vegas and marry your dog. Trust me, when you, you study the Bible, bestiality comes next. And it is just as, you know, if you think a guy can't marry his own dog, you are evil. I, I know it sounds crazy, but I can remember back when I first started pastoring and I said homosexuality and talked about it half a second and women getting up and going to the bathroom and throwing up. People in the church saying, if you ever talk about that again in church, we'll never come back because that's unholy. And I saw that within two years saying it was a sin, now being rebuked by people saying, because I shouldn't say it's a sin because people are going to get offended by that. Very, very quickly happened. But yet, you, you, you got some guy who has this broad thing of what sexuality is, and, and you say, so it's never right to judge somebody's sex. They'll say, that's correct. Well, what about a 50-year-old guy who wants to have sex with a three-year-old child? <gasps> no, that's horrible. Okay, he doesn't think it's horrible. You go talk to that 50-year-old guy, he'll tell you when he was six years old, he wanted to have sex with three-year-old girls. When he was 12 years old, he wanted to have three, sex with three-year-olds. When, when he was 15 years old, and now he's 20, and now he's 50, he still has never changed his desire he was born with. So how is that any different than what you're saying about your sex life? I was born wanting to have sex with multiple people. But yet all of a sudden... This guy, you're now wanting to throw him in prison for, for his sex. So you, you do believe that somebody like yourself can say somebody's sex is not only wrong, but it's criminal. Okay, so we both agree that we can say sex is wrong. <laughs> now it's just a matter of where do we draw the line? Where, where do we say it? And Paul is going to plainly say, the Bible plainly says, Sex, God designed it for one thing and one thing only. Sex in marriage. Anything outside that is sexual sin. And again, when you say that today, good is evil and evil is good. We live in an upside down world. It sounds absolutely insane in these last days to say, God who made the heavens and the earth, God who made them male and female, made sex also, and it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But it is only allowed in marriage. All other sexuality, we must abstain from it. We understand that word, right? We abstain from all others. So people today will often say, oh, I need you to pray for me to know God's will. What's God's will for my job? What's God's will for my education? What's God's will about this or that? But yet, they're living in sin with their girlfriend or boyfriend or 
a polyamorous relationship with two or three boyfriends and girlfriends. It's insane. I mean, just it goes infinitely how perverted it is. But they, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I, I live with a couple of guys and we all have sex, but, you know, it, it, that's nothing. I, I, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. God knows since, how sincerely I am loving the Lord. I just need you to pray whether I should take this job in, you know, Chicago or stay here and work at this job. Can you pray? And, I, and, I, and I'll say the same thing each time. You can never know the specifics of God's will until you are a person of God's will. You see, God's given us a narrow road that leads to life. But yet, even as Christians, there is a broad road that we can choose that leads to destruction. And people are often off the freeway over here, you know, I think of Arizona, driving through cactus and hitting rocks and what's God's will? What's God's will for my life? And it's like, well, first get over on the freeway. Where the asphalt is and quit breaking teeth, you know, driving through the desert. That's God's will. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Let's just start with that, that you would see yourself as a holy instrument of God and live in that life as a holy instrument of God. That's God's will. And you've got to first say, I'm going to be a person of God's will before you can actually know God's will. I want to walk and live in that. And you know the passage in Galatians 5, verse 17 and 18, the lust of the, the flesh, lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that we do not do the things that we wish. So understand this, guys. We have a spirit that's made in the image of God, but it's been placed in a sinful body inherited from Adam and Eve. So just because my body, my brain, my emotions feel a certain way doesn't mean that's right. But I feel like I should just get a gun and go shoot all those people that made me mad. Uh, okay. I don't want any hands raised, but how many of us have felt that way in our lifetime? All of us. That's how despicable we are. Just because you have that feeling doesn't mean you act on that feeling. We, we, we've, our entire life, from kindergarten on, want to get up and scream, I hate this, I want out, I don't like this person. There's all kinds of evil things in our flesh. But we, we have learned, I can't do whatever my brain thinks up. I can't say whatever my brain thinks up. I can't do what would make me happy in this moment. There's a sense of, I have a conscience and I need to do what's right. But guess what? Even my conscience doesn't help me as it should the time you're past five years old. Because it's been damaged and even seared in some cases where we, we, we say, man, if the Bible didn't say this, I would agree with the world. Matter of fact, I, you know, I, I wish the Bible would say that we could have sex with whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, however we wanted. But, ah, got to be a Christian, you know. I mean, people have said, do you, do you like the concept of hell? No, 
I don't. I wish there was no hell. But I also know that I do not have a sense of justice as God has a sense of justice. And for righteousness to prevail, there has to be a complete and utter purity and justice. So that means that, you know, the Hitler doesn't die once, (laughs) but the Hitler dies tormented in hell forever. But the truth is, what's one of the very first things on the list? It's not corrupt and sinful and sexually immoral. It's the unbeliever and the coward. (laughs) You can read in Revelation 20 is on the top of that list of who will be judged in hell. So the flesh is against the spirit. The spirit is against the flesh. Do you understand that? So I'm at war with the two. So the flesh is never going to help me to walk in the spirit. My flesh isn't going to say, now I know your spirit's weak and doesn't want to, but I want to, I want to read the Bible so bad. I want to go to church so bad. I want to pray so bad. Your flesh is always going to have to be beaten into subjection. That's why Paul goes on in Galatians 5, verse 24 and 25 to say, those who are Christ, those who are Christ, have crucified the flesh with its what? Passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So those who are believers and the Spirit of God lives in you, don't let it stop there. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. I'm just now, you know, in cruise control until I get to heaven. No, 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 no. That's a miserable way to live. If God's Spirit lives in you, now walk in the Spirit. And he says that we should abstain from this sexual immorality. Interesting, the word immorality here is the word pornea. We get our word pornography from it. But it's really just a word for fornication or sexual immorality. It's a very generic word because really we need to encompass all of it, don't we? And this is what he's seeing. He's saying that we abstain from all sexual immorality, whether it's fornication or adultery or homosexuality or lesbianism or bestiality or in being infeminate. Deuteronomy 22, 5 talks about that, that if a, a, a guy acts infeminate like a girl or a girl acts like a, a man, that's an abomination in, the, in God. Of course, Leviticus 18 He goes into a whole list of sexual immorality that they saw at that time in the pagan world. It was pretty, it was pretty extensive. Read Leviticus 18 if you'd like. But it's interesting that when it comes to Paul talking about the the list of the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 4, he starts out with four words all talking about sexuality. (laughs) He can't just say, you know, don't steal. Okay, what's that? You know, just one word. He can't use one word. He starts off in Galatians 5.19 by, by saying the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. The old King James says licentiousness. And then he goes on to other areas. Why is that? Because it is a very strong desire, the sexual desire, and we we want to play games with God. We want to find a workaround. 
You know, I, I, being a youth pastor and a college pastor, you know, I've been asked this a hundred times, you know. Now, I know it's wrong to fornicate, but what if we lay in bed together naked just to cuddle and not have sex or anything, but just to have that closeness? Because we're going to get married. Probably in five years from now, we're going to get married. What, that, that's not actual fornication, is it? And I'll take them over here going, okay, there's not just one word. Um, let's look at the other ones. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, or the old King James says licentiousness, which is this, giving yourself a license. <laughs> it's another word saying, oh, that's not immoral. For me, that's not immoral. It's just giving yourself a license. And, I, and I've seen that. Where, well, what if we keep all our clothes on and just do heavy petting? What do you think about that? And we'll tell our parents that we're doing it. So I think they'll be okay with it. And what if it, 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 it's just a workaround? And I'll just say, okay, let's go through this again. Adultery, fornication, you're not going to do those two. What about uncleanness? Anything that's impure. I, I just got to stop here and, 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 and make this clear for a moment. There is no sin in existence that is a sin because God said it's a sin. And this is what the world says repeatedly. I remember doing Forever Man Answer years ago, and somebody called in and they said this. If Jesus came back right now and said homosexuality wasn't a sin, would it not be a sin? And the answer is, homosexuality is in a sin because Jesus said it's a sin at all. Matter of fact, I don't find anywhere in the New Testament Jesus says it's a sin. In the Old Testament, it calls it an abomination and a sin both, but it, 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 never, it never is. You, you see, when Adam and Eve were created, was murder a sin? Was stealing a sin? Was lying a sin? No, not until God said it in Exodus 20. <laughs> is that true? No. Sin is sin because it's sin. It's just reality. It is truth. Let, let me give you an analogy. I had a big black barbecue in my backyard, and most of the time there's no heat to it. Kids are out there with their tricycles cruising around and, and uh, touching it and driving next to it. And, but now I'm out there barbecuing. I say, hey, you can't get next to this. And I put a, a bunch of chairs up to keep them away. You guys play over there. And they're going, I touch that all the time. That's, you're wrong. That won't burn me. And I'm like, yeah, but I got heat in there. I'm barbecuing. It will burn you. And they're looking at that black barbecue. And it looks identical. And soon as I step away for one second, they run over there, touch it, and they're burned. And they come over to me with a dirty look and kick me in the shin. That barbecue would not have burnt me if you didn't say it would burn me. The only reason it burnt me is because you said it would burn me. Now, is that true? No, it was going to burn them either way. I just would have been a bad father <laughs> had I not warned them. You see, God made us in his image, and his image is purity. And things that are not pure, they damage our soul that we can't see. They damage our spirit that we can't see. They damage our body that we can see. 
They damage relationships and intimacy and relationships we can't see. It damages our brain in ways that we can't see. And so if you're just looking and going, well, if I have sex with whoever I want, I'm looking in the mirror, I look the same thing and nothing seems to bother me. And yeah, you know, you're, you're not just a physical human being. Your spirit and your soul and your mind. God is not telling you that all sex is to be abstained from except in marriage because he's a prude, because he's a Pharisee, because he's just a religious crazy dude that wants everybody to walk around and be holier than thou and be miserable all the time. How do you know who's really saved? If you're miserable. That's how you really know because they can't have any fun. No. It, the reason it's wrong is because it's wrong. Paul says in Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable among all. You know that's true. Any time period in history, anywhere in the world today, if you say, I'm married, people are like, that's great. I've been married 40 years, 50. Wow, that's, that's wonderful. It's honorable, right? And the bed undefiled, if you've been faithful, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality. You know who that reminds me of in, in 1 Corinthians 6.18? It says flee sexual immorality. You remember the story of Joseph? Remember Potiphar's wife tried to get him in bed? What did he do? He ran. He fleed sexual morality. Every sin that a man does outside the body, but he who commits sexuality sins against his own self. All other sins, they sin, they damage you. But sexuality, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, says it damages you in a way that no other sin damages you. Isn't that interesting? Sexuality is a very strong urge. It is a very strong drive we have. But it's also God built it in such a way with this strong urge to say, this is how you can live a life holy unto me is to take this incredibly strong urge and to deny yourself, take up a cross and follow me, to not give in to it. Yes, I understand that strong. I know people that are in the finance area, to be rich is such a strong thing. They will murder, they will cheat, they will do whatever they got to get rich. There, you can look at many urges and if you live in that world, it's like it's the most important thing in the world to, to, to have this. And if I don't have this, I'm gonna go crazy. Well, verse four, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. That each of you should know your own body. And what triggers that body? What, what is it that triggers your body? What is it that causes you to be sexually stirred up? What is it causes you to cross that line from being tempted to actually sinning? Know your own 
body. James 1, we know this well, verse 12 through 16. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So God knows it's a big deal. And he's saying, man, those who make it, I got a crown specifically for those who don't give in to temptation. In verse 13 of James 1, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does any, he himself tempt anyone. Well, God made me this way. I was born this way. I was born homosexual. We heard that for years. And now I was born a one of a thousand different transgendered. I was born that way. I, I was born a boy, but I should have been a girl. That's why I'm doing this. Or whatever other trans nonsense they're talking about. Oh, I was born that way. They all say that. But you know Brown University right now? 43% of the kids said they were born trans. What are the odds of that? Last year it was 2%. This year it was 43%. It's perversion. It, it, it takes on. It's like a tidal wave. It just starts impregnating the entire society and everybody's brain gets twisted and good is evil and evil is good. And no, normal is, is horrible. Normal's oppressive. I was born a boy and I stay a boy. That's oppressive. I'm born a girl. I stay a girl. That's oppressive. I, I, I'm a boy, but I want to have sex with the other boys. I, if, I, if I say no to that, then I'm being oppressed. And their brain... They sin against, it's sexuality sin is different than all other sin. It sins against your own self, your own body. You, you set in motion a destruction on yourself, on the society. Read Romans 1. It tells you about that. Then he goes on in verse James 1.14 saying this, But each of you is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. There it is. You, you've, you've created licentiousness and you said, okay, and then you've saturated your mind in this certain type of, today, pornography on the internet seems to be a huge one. Can't seem to get away from it. But it starts infiltrating the mind and then all of a sudden it wants deeper and darker and more twisted sexuality and then all of a sudden, you, you start to understand why people are homosexuals. You start to understand why people want to dress up like a woman and have sex with other women or men or whatever. Your, your brain starts to get destroyed. And this is what he's saying. You're, you're tempted when your own desires end up taking you away. Again, read Romans chapter 1. In verse 15, Then when the desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and a sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. It is not something where you can say, now I know why I have all these perverted thoughts. I was born this way. Now I know why I need to cut off my genitals, because God made me to do that. God's behind it. God wants that. I need to find a church where they understand this. And, and oh, look at this. This United Methodist is Episcopal Church over there. Not only that, they have a, they have a lesbian pastor. And, oh, they, they, she's explained it to me from the Bible. This is, this is glorious. And everybody interprets the Bible as, you know, being a homosexual or, or 
transgender some way is a sin, it's because they're heretics. Yeah, I agree. Somebody's a heretic here. But it's not the last 2,000 years of church history that are heretics. But then he also adds, he doesn't just say in sanctification, but he says in honor. That our, our sexual desires should be kept in check in such a way that we are honorable. That ladies would live in such a way, the way you handle yourself, the way you dress, the way you talk, the way you approach other people in this world, that it's clear to them that you're honorable and you're a rock. Men, in the same way, the world would see you and they'd know that you're honorable. There's no flexibility there. There's no opportunity to be tempted there or to, or to be enticed there. We are to be holy, sanctified, honorable. We are, in essence, to be different, unique. You know, when people try to say holy, Today, we, we've got it where, again, it's in this religious mode. You know, you see a priest in his outfit and, oh, he's a holy person. Or you see some monk in his Buddhist outfit, he's a holy person. No, get, get rid of the word holy altogether if that's what you're thinking. Unique. We are to be unique as God is unique because we're made in his image. You know, when you study through the Gospels, Jesus' uniqueness surprises us, right? He's unique with the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. He's unique in turning the, cha the money changing tables over and getting a whip and chasing people out of the temple. He was unique. He spit on this guy's eyes and put mud on him and told him to go wash and he'd see. I mean, Jesus constantly surprises us with this uniqueness. And he had a life in the spirit. And as we have Jesus in our lives because we believed on his death and his burial and his resurrection and we're saved, now let the spirit of God live and, and have this unique life. Your brain works uniquely and it looks honorable. Jesus looked honorable. Jesus acted honorably. They still said he was a drunkard and a glutton and even demon-possessed. But the fact is, is that he lived honorably. And this is what he's saying. We're made in God's image, or Genesis 1.27 says, and now we can live a life living uniquely, holy, if you would. Under, understand, if you want freedom, if you're saying, man, I want to be free. I really want freedom. Holiness brings freedom. Walking as Jesus walked brings freedom. Living life in purity the way Jesus did brings freedom. You see, today they're telling people all the time, freedom is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. And I need a society, I need a group of people that nobody judges me for that. 
I need to go find a, a group in the desert where I can just, if I want to walk around naked, they don't, nobody even cares. Nobody says a word. If I want to have sex with 10 different people the same day, nobody cares. Everybody, nobody judges you. If I'm going to take LSD and walk around screaming and barking like a dog, nobody's going to judge me. I, the freedom is where I can do whatever I, whatever I want. No condemnation. Everybody loves me, accepts me. That's, that's ridiculous. Uh, imagine a, a, a guy who's a borderline alcoholic, <laughs> having a hard time holding down a good job, but he's doing okay. He wins the lottery. He's now worth, you know, half a billion dollars. And so he goes out in the middle of the woods and he builds this giant barn. He fills it up with every kind of alcohol he can imagine and every kind of cigarette and cigar and everything in the world. And he's like now sitting out there in his chair by this barn going, I'm going to just drink all I want to drink and smoke all I want to smoke until my heart is content. Is that freedom? Or is that bondage? Physically, it'll kill him. But emotionally, I think that, again, even the hardest, hardest person's conscience would, would begin to bother them. Freedom, true freedom is this. When you can do the right, moral, honorable thing, and you can do it over and over and over again, and it's not hard. When my kids were young, I'd give them all jobs, you know, take out the trash, do the dishes. And they get, you know, they get junior high, I just can't do this anymore. Okay, listen, anytime you can't do your job, it's okay, I'll do it for you. The only thing is you have to stay next to me until it's finished. So I'd go over and do the dishes in two and a half seconds. We had a dishwasher. But they'd have to stand there bored to death and watch me. <laughs> Take out the trash. You just got to follow me along. Takes, again, two minutes. Take the trash to the whole house out. They're like, why is it that I, you can do it so much easier. Why do you want me to do it? Because I want you to learn how to do hard things until it's easy. Because when you go off, maturity in life is when you can do your own dishes, take out your own trash, take care of your own car, take care of your own bills. It's everything's, all these things are hard. They're repeatedly hard. Every year you got to do your taxes. It's hard. Every, every time you got to sit down and open up bills and pay them, it's hard. But I, I want your character to develop where you can do the hard things and it's easy for you. And until that happens, you need to keep doing this and more. Well, the same morally, that we would not be oppressed by doing the right things. I'm married. But that girl wants me to have sex with her, and I really want to have sex with her. And oh, I mean, you know, it's so hard to be a Christian. But I'd be able to do the right thing. And it's like, no, there's not even temptation there. Because a person's tempted when his own desires are enticed and they get stronger and stronger until finally you cross that line and you, it becomes sin. Do you understand? Freedom is when we can do the right, holy, sanctified thing. And it's not hard, but it actually brings joy to our life. And so when we talk about being an honorable person, Paul says it this way in Hebrews 12. He says, 
let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. So it's not just sins, it's things that are weights to keep us from living that honorable life. Well, verse five here, just about ready to conclude. (laughs) Verse five, yes, my first of many. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. I think you can just very simply say, no matter what generation you lived in, the 1300s, the 1500s today, didn't matter where you live on the planet, that you, the world's mindset of sexuality will be different than Christianity. They'll always define it in a way that's more permissive. There's a greater permissiveness in sexuality. At this particular time, Demosthenes says this, We keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. And we keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. They had no problem with that. This is why we have three different women in our employment. (laughs) Paul tells the Galatians that may the God of the Lord Jesus Christ and himself keep us from this deliver us from this present evil age. Do do we understand it? Do, Do we get this? We are in the age of apostasia, that the majority of the Christian churches in the world right now do not see homosexuality as sin. Okay? Even in America, you can look, just go Google it. The majority of people in their 20s right now, virtually 100% of them, who say, yes, I'm a Christian, but yes, homosexuality and transgender and all this is okay. You keep going up the age until you get to the baby boomer generation. It's still like 43, 45% of baby boomers, old folks like us say, yeah, there's no sin in that. It's wonderful. I, my neighbors or my nephew, my whoever, they're, you know, they're all wonderful. I, I, yeah, you know, we got this new pastor. She's a lesbian. and really upset me at first, but now I just love her. That's, that's the world we live in. Remember when Joshua brought them into the promised land? He first made them get rid of their idols, destroy all their idols before they went over across Jordan. As soon as they get across the Jordan, they realize not that many people destroyed their idols. They kept all their pagan idols all the way from Egypt. And what does he say to them? In Joshua 24, he basically says, I can't lead you anymore. I can't help you. Because we are not together. He says this. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord God, then go and serve another one of the gods of your fathers. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's the way it is in these last days. You're not going to find... Christians to even agree on on the most basic moral 
principles of the Bible. And as I'm preaching this, I was preaching something similar to this a while back in another book. And, and one of the ladies in our church came up and she was fuming. How can you say homosexuality is a sin? Let me tell you about my grandchildren. Blah, 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 blah. They're the best parents. They're the most loving people. They take care of me better than any of my other grandkids. And I'm, you know, on and on and on. I'm not saying they're horrible people. I'm not saying they're worse sinners than anybody else. I'm simply saying, wake up. We are in the last days where good is evil and evil is good. That the doctrines of demons would cause many to depart from the faith. It's happened. We're going to be in a sec- second Thessalonians shortly. And it says, hey, you know very well, the day of the Lord doesn't come until there's been an apostasia, a falling away of the church. It's happened, guys. People that will hear this message and come back to hear similar Bible teachings are very, very few. Okay? Don't, don't think that, oh, the majority of people that go to church this morning on Sunday morning agree with what pastor's saying. No, they don't. They very much um, want to give me a piece of their mind that I am uh, interpreting the Bible wrong and there's plenty of, plenty of theologians out there to explain that the kind of homosexual way of talking about the Bible was a selfish homosexual, not a loving marriage and commitment. If two men are really love each other, that's, that's okay. But if they, they're just in it for the sex and they're not willing to get married, then that's homosexuality. They shouldn't do that. I, I've heard all, all of them. There, there's insanity uh, of this. But know this, Paul said in 2 Timothy, the last days will be perilous times for us, not for the world. It's perilous times for those who want to be holy and sanctified. If you want to live a holy and sanctified life, the last days are perilous for us. Men will be lovers of themselves. They'll be unholy without self-control. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, but they still very much have in place a form of godliness. From such, turn away. And again, he says the days would be like the days of Noah. Giving and taking in marriage, eating, feasting. Had no idea that destruction was coming. Zero idea. Even though it tells us Moses for 120 years from the ark preached it. Believe me, the whole world saw that ark. The whole world came by to see this colossal structure out in the middle of the desert or the middle of wherever and Moses or Noah preached to them but still they were completely shocked when it began to rain he's Jesus says learn the parable of the fig tree when the leaves are budding forth you know that summer is near you also when the see the things the signs of these things happening know it is near even at the door This generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And then he goes into the days also like the days of Lot. And he says that the same exact thing, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Everything's going on as normal. Even though the entire community were born homosexuals. (laughs) 
They were all born homosexuals. And when they were, they were so tired of having sex with each other, when the two angels showed up, they looked like young men from the oldest to the youngest. They all were pressing in, ready to knock the walls of Lot's house in to get to those guys to have sex with them because they wanted the new flesh. But they were all born that way. You know, it's not, it's not like something that's wrong. They were, they were all born homosexuals, except for Lot. Again, it's, it's insanity. But it ends that story in Luke 17, 32, that says, remember Lot's wife. She was willing to go along with it for a portion. <laughs> but when the angel said, if your heart's longing for that place because you love living there, it didn't bother you, and you want to look back one more time and say, oh, you know, I had such great um, designers <laughs> for my home. I had great dresses there that I had to leave behind. He said, that'll be a sin. And she turned to a pillar of salt. He's saying, that's the Christians. Well, it's perverted and, you know, you got this sex pride parade where they're walking around naked and they have little kids and, you know, they're trying to, you know, make all kindergartners read these five books on my two moms, my two dads, and now transgendered. And, you know, the school wants to take everybody to a, transgendered party. I mean, what's, what's the problem with this? We, we need to lighten up, be in the world, not of it. We, you know, remember Lot's wife. This is what he's saying, that we need to be standing fast. And Peter tells us that God delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. And that righteous man says it twice, dwelling among them, was tormented. I like the old King James, vexed in his righteous soul. There's the third time. Righteous lot, righteous man, righteous soul, from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Lot was not like his wife. His wife's soul wasn't vexed. His soul was vexed. He could barely stomach the place. But nevertheless, he was trying to stay there for his family and for the community. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. If you knew that the man was coming at night to rob your house, would you go to sleep or would you watch and not allow your house to be broken into? Jesus therefore said, be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. In Luke 21, 36, watch therefore, pray always, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things which will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Well, in verse 6 here, that no one should take an advantage or defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord's the avenger of all set, of all avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. So there were people coming along saying, yeah, Paul's a little more uptight about that sexuality stuff than I am. I'm a little more permissive. You know? Is it, you know, you, you, can, you can get naked and lay in bed as long as you don't actually have intercourse. Then that would be wrong. But, you know, just lighten up a little bit. I mean, the way Paul's describing it, your whole city is full of wickedness. I don't believe that. 
And Paul says, if somebody else is coming along and telling you something more permissive, he, he says, understand that the Lord's going to be the avenger of all such. In my personal life, when I was in college, I had these guys I was hanging out to, I really respected. And one day they're looking at nude pictures of girls in the dorm. And I'm like, what's going on? And they said, and I, I really looked at them spiritually. They go, oh, this is like God's creation. This is like looking at a sunset. We're just looking at the human body. It's, I quit hanging out with those guys after that. <laughs> but God will judge people that say otherwise. And then in verse seven, for God did not call us in uncleanness, but in holiness. The bottom line is God did not call us to a life of uncleanness. I want to finish here in 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 15 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who joined with the harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside his body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. And then the final verse eight, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us of the Holy Spirit. If you disagree with this, Paul is saying, it's not me, it's not my opinion. This is God who is saying this. This is what God is requiring of you, O man, to walk justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Well, we're gonna talk more about sanctification in chapter five, but there it is. And Lord, we just lay before you now that you'd search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us. Lord, are we loving you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength? Or have we listened to those in Sodom and Gomorrah and been persuaded by them? Is our righteous soul vexed every day by what we see and hear of the wicked world? If not, Lord, forgive us. Those who right now are being convicted, whether they're hearing online or hearing 10 years from now, that are having a deep conviction because they, they've been persuaded by others. They've been persuaded by their own mind. They've not been as bad as the world, but they haven't been holy as you are holy. Heal them right now. Forgive them right now. The Bible says we confess our sin. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, give strength to each one of us like Joseph. Let us be honorable and run, even though the world may still judge us, but we will run in honorability and throw our coat aside and not commit sexual sin. Cause us to not just be a light, but a strong light to this very dark, perverted generation, especially as we see the signs of your return that are very, very near before we're raptured, the church is raptured, up to be with you in these last days. Let us in these last days be as Noah before the flood came. Let us be as righteous Lot 
before destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah came. Even though this is a perverted, uniquely perverted and, and evil generation full of doctrines of demons that have never existed on earth before, let us not be persuaded as so many will depart from the faith because of these wicked doctrines. Don't let it be us, Lord. Let us be walking in the light as you are in the light. Let us know the truth and the truth set us free in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.